Hi, I'm Wayne Heinsohn, the pastor of Grace Church Australia. Thanks so much for checking out this podcast. We hope it is inspirational and it equips you to make known the name of Jesus. You can stay connected with us during the week by going to gracegathering.online. We know who John the Baptist is. He was born to Elizabeth and Zechariah and he came as a miraculous birth. And he was called to be the forerunner before Jesus came, that everyone would be open to hear the message of the gospel through Jesus. John answered them. He was asked questions by um, priests and leaders that came out and said, who are you? Why are you here? Why are you doing the things you're doing? And he said, I am an urgent, thunderous voice crying out in the desert, clear the way and prepare your hearts for the coming of the Lord Yahweh. Now, we're, we're dealing with a culture that has known the Torah, has known the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. They followed that. They know Moses. They know um, Noah. They know all the things that they've learned up to now, but they've also, in all this time frame up to now, have lived in cultures where there's been other gods and other idols. And we get familiar with things as we settle in them. You know, Lot in Sodom got familiar. He didn't like it, but he didn't change it. He didn't speak up. He became part of that community. And so that can happen to us today. This is what happened to them then. And because of that, and because God was honouring the promise that was sent out, you know, it said that there would one come in the spirit of Elijah. So that's in 1 Kings 17. Uh, that's in Malachi 4, 5 and 6. And in 1 Kings 17, 80, it talks about Elijah coming. And the reason why Elijah came, for the same reason, that their hearts had got hardened, that they had taken on um, the, the belief systems of the culture, and it was, uh, the king was Ahab and Jezebel, and they were taken on the Baals instead of Almighty God, the, the I Am. And so Elijah was sent to bring them back to remembrance who the powerful one was, because everybody went under the fear of that regime and what they were saying and what was the culture of the land and just followed suit. They didn't stand up and the ones who did were the prophets and they were ridiculed and they were killed, a lot of them. But this man, Elijah, was set apart to come and bring a message to Ahab that he was going to bring a drought on the land. You know, and Ahab just thought of him as being a pain. In, a pain. I was going to say something else, but he's a pain. You know, that he was, um, you know, he blamed him for everything that happened in the land. And he said, no, it's God. He's called me to tell you there'll be a drought. And this was to show people the truth about who God is. Because they'd been so underneath this whole regime and understanding and culture of a land that they forgot who the real God is and forgot who they were as the Israelites. And so he tells him there's going to be a drought and Ahab probably just moves on from that thinking he's, you know, he's not important. But eventually that comes and it's three and a half years that drought is in the land. And God provided for Elijah in that time. He called him out to a brook sheriff where the water was still flowing and ravens came and fed him with meat and bread. So God is our provider in the midst of something. Know that as God's people that you're not left bereft and without what you need in the middle of your storm or the wilderness experience or the drought in your life, because we all have them. We all have times of drought and wilderness and we all have times of joy and victory. But we've got to keep this 
this plane that Jesus is the answer to both of those parts. So he's out there and then it gets to a place where um, the river, you know, the stream dries up and he sends him to a woman in Zarephath, a widow with a child. And he goes there and a miracle happens there. And the provision for food comes out of her, what she has. She has very little. She's going to die. And then he comes, a man of God. And and she must have recognised the godliness. You know, God put it in her heart. Because you do recognise a sense of people when you're around them, when they have a presence of God. You can... And in that culture, because everything was, you know, geared towards spirituality... Anyway, she said to the man of God, and he, he provided um, the meal and the oil for what was needed till the drought broke. And then he goes back to Ahab and says, oh, our God is going to break the drought. He said, you're my problem. You're my troublemaker. He says, no, 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 God sent me to tell you that the drought's about to break. And so in, in that, releasing that to Ahab, This is now where God's going to move in a different way because in Baal culture, he was the god of the weather. So all their religion and everything was based around that culture and and making sacrifices and everything to Baal. Well, in comes Elijah and he says, "Um, no, my God did it and he's about to release the rain again. But he wants to show you something. He says, he wants to have a little showdown with your priests and my God, me and my God, and your 450 priests. And we're going to go up on the mountain, we're going to make a sacrifice. You know, we've just been in a drought for three and a half years, so there's no, water's like gold. So he says, we're going to build an altar and we're going to put a sacrifice. You 450 over there, you know, you go for it, you light the fire and say, oh, well, you don't light the fire, you're waiting for your God to light the fire. And so they get into a frenzy and they, yeah, yeah, wah, yeah, wah. And they're cutting themselves because it's not happening to let the blood flow to get out that grief and pain that I can't, they're not answering. And then Elijah goes, oh, that's really good, you know. He must be out. He's not in at the moment, sorry. So this is my altar. And I want you to fill it up with everything that they've got, but I want you to douse it fully with water, that precious water must have been in people's mind, how could he do that? Waste our water. But he does that and then God shows up because he will show up in your life. He is your God. He's powerful and he's mighty. But they had forgotten. And it's easy to forget as we go along in life that we really serve a mighty God who is powerful. Even though in our circumstances and situation it can look the total opposite. I mean, I'm a mum that stands in the gap for my prodigals. I'm standing in the gap for my family that aren't saved. I'm standing in the gap to get back what has been stolen from me. And God's aware of that. But am I looking into that situation that it's never going to happen and that it's hopeless even though I've been waiting? Because we do get weary in our waiting at times. It can be a long time, a very long time before we see a result. But if our heart is true to God and we trust him, There's going to be many things along the road of that life that's going to be wonderful and just so full of grace and mercy that you're going to be able to walk it out. And so God hits that fire and destroys the whole thing. All the water's gone, everything. And then God says, kill off the 450 priests to show that I am God in this place. So the reason I'm bringing Elijah in is because 
the story starts with John. And when, he's, when Jesus talks about him in Matthew 11, when he says, what kind of man did you see when you went out into the wilderness? Did you expect to see a man who would be easily intimidated? Who was he? Did you expect to see a man decked out in splendid fashion of the day? Those who wear fancy clothes, like, live like kings in palaces? Or did you encounter a true prophet out in the lonely wilderness? Yes. John was a prophet like those of the past, but he is even more than that. He was the fulfilment of this scripture. See, I am sending my prophetic messenger who will go ahead of me and prepare hearts to receive me. So Elijah came in that time as a prophetic message, but he came in the power of the Holy Spirit on him. God came down on him. But John the Baptist, when Zechariah says, um, the angel comes to Zechariah to say that John the Baptist is going to be born, so this is a miracle. The angel spoke about the birth of John, and it was a miraculous birth, because we know that they were elderly and they hadn't had anything, any children. He will be one of the great ones in the sight of God. He will drink no wine or strong drink, but he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even while still in his mother's womb. And he will persuade many in Israel to convert and turn back to the Lord their God. He will go before the Lord as a forerunner. This is in Luke 1, 15 to 17. He will go as a forerunner with the same power and anointing as Elijah the prophet. He will be instrumental in turning the hearts of the fathers in tenderness back to their children and the hearts of the disobedient back to the wisdom of their righteous fathers. And he will prepare a united people who are ready for the Lord's appearing. And in Malachi 4, 5 and 6, it says, Behold, I am going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. Right throughout the scriptures, everything refers somewhere. The Old Testament refers to the coming. The New Testament refers to the old. It's like... The continuation of story is a circle. And you might hear stories when you go to church and you think, I've heard that. But there's a new revelation on each word as it brings, you know, the word is alive. And there's a treasure within that word every time you read it, if you have eyes to see. And we pray in Ephesians 1 that our eyes of our understanding would be open to see. Because I'm telling you, there's so much gold and diamond in the word of God today that I had never seen as much as I'm seeing now. And so everything's like on a circular storyline and it brings you into one and brings you around to the next and it comes back. Everyone refers to, this is coming, this is coming. You know, and then when you get to it, like Jesus said, this is the prophet, you know, this is from the spirit of Elijah and, and the disciples say, but... Doesn't he have to come first? And he said he has come. And it's John the Baptist. He's the one who comes to do water baptism. But he comes to prepare the hearts of the people back because they've lost the plot too. We're living in a culture now under Roman rule. We're living under a harsh religious system. And we're back to that place again where we're following the status quo but we're not making a decision in God. It's all about, well, they would know, they're the religious leaders. You know, I'm going to follow after what they have to say. 
the Romans are over us, so we have to do what they, they say. There's not any choice in our life. But God's not saying that. He says there's always a choice wherever we are. And so they needed to come back to that understanding of what the prophets said back in the Kings that the spirit of Elijah, the coming of the Lord will come through the spirit of Elijah first coming and presenting him. And so when this man comes out of the bush and they meet him, he's never drunk wine, he's got hair, he's camel, you know, he's like, wow. Everyone's like, wow. <laughs> I think he's got something to say. But they hear the anointing because remember it said in the, in the beginning of when Elizabeth was pregnant that when Mary came, as soon as Mary spoke, the spirit leapt in her tummy and then she prophesied. Elizabeth prophesied out of her mouth. That's the power of God and that's the anointing of God. That's the, that's the promise of God. But here, there's always something leading to something else and you have to follow it. You can't just get off the bus. and you can, you can get off the bus and sit there for a while and we can do that. You know, We can sit there and think, oh, this is what I need to know and I'm not going anywhere else because there's things happening and I need to be here. But God wants you continually growing and getting on that train or that bus that needs to go to the next place, regardless if you're leaving someone behind. Because in our mind, leaving someone behind is like we've abandoned them. In God's mind is we're letting them go to him so he can do something. We're not holding them tight so they can't be doing what God's calling them to. So John comes and, and he's, he's just so, I mean, I try and think about it. I think I'd be drawn to that scene of John the Baptist. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Repent. Repent. And everyone's like, repent. What have we done? And then the revelation comes, oh, we, we, we serve idols. We serve fear. We, we don't honour God with our festivals because everything is a festival time, isn't it? Even Pentecost is out of the book uh, Leviticus 23 where it talks about the feast. So this is the first fruits. Jesus paid his price at the Passover and now it's 50 days later and we're at Pentecost. So everything has a marker to it from the beginning and the end of the Bible is all the story of God. And it follows through, and you follow it, you'll walk in the way of God, you'll be anointed, you'll be appointed, and the covenant of God is your covenant. But it was their covenant. They held the feast and then forgot about him for the next how many months or year that the next feast is, you know, some are yearly, some are a few months apart. And God's saying, I want my people back. So John the Baptist comes for such a time as this to speak out repentance to all that have turned away from me, from loving me, their hearts have got hardened by their circumstance and their situations. And John comes with that message. But as soon as he sees the Lamb of God, he says it. You know, everyone's following John. They're being water baptized because they believe the truth of the message. They start to see, their eyes are open that we need to repent for the way we've been living the way we've been looking at things and what we thought were valuable to us is not what's valuable to God. You know, God says that it's all about the kingdom, not our kingdom, his kingdom. And yet in life, we, as families, and, and you know, we want to have a home and we want to have our families well and do all those sort of things, and he knows that. 
But if that becomes our only idol in our house and Jesus isn't above it, we're in trouble. Because when they let us down, and they will, I let my mum down. I mean, why shouldn't my child at some time let me down? And, and am I going to be offended and betrayed and disappointed all the time and carrying it all my life? I've, I've, I've done that. I don't know if anyone else has, but I have. And realise that it's, it doesn't work for me. It doesn't belong in me. If Jesus paid for every area of my life of brokenness, I don't have a right to hold on to it. If he paid for my betrayal or my separation or abandonment, he was rejected, he was ripped apart, he was, you know, all the things that done to him were done in my place so that when those things rise up in me, Jesus didn't have the value of being able to take them on. Like he could experience it, but he couldn't say to myself, I'm really angry at you because you, you, you betrayed me. He couldn't do that because he was a sinless sacrifice. So he, didn't, he couldn't hold those things in him. They had, he had to be releasing them all the time to Father. And, and he's made that way for us. We just don't realise it because we've got the sin nature in us, which he didn't. But he still had the testing and the trials that we endure in our life. But he's made a way. And John came with that message. And they believed it and they baptised. They got baptised and the religious leaders were really upset with him, saying, who are you? Who do you think you are? He said, I'm just the one that comes before. I'm the, he more or less said, I'm the forerunner of the Messiah and repentance is the key. And then one day Jesus comes along and he's like, ah. Oh. He knows that he is the one. But it comes into line when he comes in to get baptised and, and John says, please, don't do this. It's a bit like Peter saying, don't wash my feet, wash me all over. He says, you should be baptising me. He said, do it to fulfil the law because everybody is doing it and I'm part of this, but I'm also part of what God's doing. And in that moment, he heard the Father, he saw the Son, and he saw the Holy Spirit descend on him like a dove. The three in one were in that picture right then. There was no shadow of a doubt. But the interesting thing is, you know, he said to everybody, this is a lamb, and everyone started to think about whether to follow him or not. And, you know, we know that Peter, Andrews, and John followed him, and that, that's how that disciples came but the interesting thing about both of these characters were that they were mighty men of God, set apart, called apart, anointed and appointed, power of God in them, and yet when trouble came, they both were in a place of not knowing what's going on. You know, like, I don't think it's supposed to go like this. If you think about it, like Elijah, with all that destruction on that mountain to prove who God was, ran when Jezebel says, I'm after you. I'm going to kill you. And he ran and hid from her. And yet he just destroyed the whole cultural spirituality of that place with what God did through him. And then we have John the Baptist, who knows he's the son of God, who saw and recognised what God said would be revealed to him, is now imprisoned through Herod. And he's there and he's going, he sends his disciples and said, uh, go and ask Jesus, is he the one? <laughs> Is he the one? Um, is there someone else we're waiting on? And yet John knew it. But the thing is that in the middle of a trial or a fear or a doubt, you can get to that place where you forget who your God is. 
And Jesus said, go back and tell him about the miracles, you know, about the healings and deliverances and all that. And that settled John. That was the last we hear of John. He gets beheaded. It wasn't how John thought it was going to end. And I probably, we wouldn't think that either. But he came for a purpose. And it was to open the door to men's heart, to return him back to the Father, to have a relationship again with their God. Well, I would like to say to you today that the spirit of Elijah is in the body. We are the ones. God is calling us back through his spirit, through speak, people that would share the gospel, to prepare our hearts because he's coming back. If we follow the gospels, we know that Jesus died on the cross, that he went into hell and defeated it, took the keys, displayed the spiritual realm to God's realm, that they were defeated and sits at the right. He ascended into heaven and sits. The, he was resurrected, ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of the Father. All of that has been achieved through Jesus, and so God is calling us now to look into what's going on in our lives. Be aware that there's places that we've put our eyes to and not up, but on. And it's it's not a rebuke or anything. God wants us to be re prepared for the coming of the Lord, because when we take communion, it says, we do this in remembrance of him, what he's done, but in his return, he is coming back. The Lord is coming back. And in those, both those scriptures with Elijah, and it says that, that on the great day of Jesus' return, that's why they've come forward, to prepare the hearts of the people. And so God is speaking to us today to prepare our hearts to be in readiness because when the harvest comes in, we need workers. We're not going to work if we're in our own kingdom, in our own place, worrying about our own stuff. We're coming to a place now. God is, I believe, and it's up to you what you believe, but I believe that the first mover God is bringing our prodigals in, bringing in the backslidden, bringing in the ones who got the seed placed in them and then they lost it through the, the cares of the world and brokenness or whatever reason that the enemy used against them to keep them separated God is drawing them back because they know the kingdom they've experienced God in their lives but they've walked away from it and most of them people when you talk to them they'll say I love God but they're not in a relationship and they're not with their their gifting using it for the kingdom so God will draw them in in this first move so that there will be the people the laborers for the influx of the greatest harvest that's coming in. And so God's preparing our hearts. And the Holy Spirit came on Pentecost for that reason. You know, Jesus was with them from the time of his Passover. He proved that he was alive, not dead. They thought everything died when he died. You know, they had these, their own imaginations of what that looked like. And when you die, you die. There's nothing else going to happen. Well, they forgot they were dealing with God. And Jesus had told them, this is going to happen. Even Peter rebuked Jesus. He said, this is going to happen. But don't worry that I have prayed for you. So God is interceding. Jesus is interceding for us. But he wants us as the body of Christ to step into that position that he's given us. We all have gifts and talents. It's not about age now. If you think of Anna and Simeon in the temple, they're in their 90s. And they were praying and interceding on behalf of Israel. And I'm not saying that anybody here has to do that, that's your call. I'm just saying if we put that as a barrier or that I'm too young or I'm inexperienced or I'm not learned enough with the Bible, you know, the Bible side of things, then you're cutting God short in you. 
when you think about it, it says Father, Son and Holy Spirit is in you. The three in me, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. How magnificent a thought. I mean, the God of creation, the God of magnificence, everything is dwelling in us as believers. It just blows my mind to think that this dust bag, you know, it's like a vacuum bag and God's in it with us. That's how much he values us. That's how much he loves us, but that's how much he's prepared to go to for us through his son for us to be equipped in these times. So um, I just want to encourage everybody that God has a purpose plan and destiny for each one of us. No one is, we're different, that's all. If you look at the, the stones in the priest's garment, they're all different colours because we all reflect differently, but we have the same Jesus in us. We have the same power and anointing, exousius, the, the, in us, dunamis, in us. But to have that functioning out of us, we've got to believe it. And that's the preparing of our hearts. Back to the truth of who we are and who we're called to be in the kingdom. A child of God, a king and a priest. How good's that? We're royalty. Don't let anyone tell you any different that you are royal. We've got DNA now from the king. You know, Jesus was from both lines with Mary and Joseph. One was the prince, kingly line, and one was the priestly line that came down to him. So he had a right when he paid the price to be, represent everything in his sacrifice. He did everything to, to the letter to fulfill the legal requirements of his sinless death to pay the price. That's our God. That's the one we serve. That's the one who loves you and is calling you for such a time as this. So he's saying, I want you to be prepared because when it gets darker and it's going to, the Bible says that in Revelations that the times are going to get darker, but the light in you will be brighter. The light, you know, it says in Isaiah 60 that, the, uh, how does it go? The light has come upon you. A right shine, for the light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon thee. That glory of God is in you. And so when we speak out, we've got to learn how to use that word of God. We have authority in the word of God that when we say such a thing and it's God's will, it will be done in heaven as on earth as in heaven. That's the authority that we have. The blood covenant covers everything that way for us. So God wants us to grow and, and strengthen our inner man to lead our outer man in the way to go by his spirit. And he's, that's what he's doing. He's encouraging us and preparing us so that when these things happen, you know, like COVID was a test run for people. Who panicked? Who ran away? Who, who, who left the building? Jesus didn't. But the, but the, the uni unifiedness of it, everyone went that way. Well, let's be the unity of Christ as the body of Christ, the bride of Christ for such a time as this. Every one of you have a value Every one of you have a gifting. Every one of you have the same God that Elijah had and John the Baptist and Jesus. And you've got Jesus too in you. So I just want to encourage you that you, the Elijah spirit works through you now to prepare the hearts of others through your intercession and through being a display of Jesus when you're out there and meet people that the gospel is going to come from you to prepare the hearts. So when the harvest time comes... They're going to come in because they've heard it. They're going to come in because they've seen it.
To hear more podcasts from Grace Church Australia, make sure you subscribe and stay connected by going to gracegathering.online.